On today's episode, we are diving into director David Fincher's Dark and Twisted World. This is Drew Went, and my co-host Billy Rock and I were so happy to be joined by our guest today, St. Louis Magazine writer Max Havey. Uh, we used uh, Fincher's upcoming movie, The Killer, as an opportunity to rank every single Fincher movie from worst to best. So listen in, see where your favorites landed on our list, and welcome to the Do you Like Apples podcast. Do you like apples? Do you like apples? Pretty, pretty uh, unpleasant uh, experiences in, in all these in all these movies. <laughs> I'm trying to think of one that I actually would, one movie of his that I actually would want to live in. I mean, I curious guess, case uh, of the ben- of Benjamin Button doesn't sound terrible. Yeah, there's enough uh, weird history in that one that would be fun to live in and not so terrible. Not not to sound cynical, but Zodiac is just our world. That's just like San Francisco <laughs> in the '70s. True, yeah. So like. I'm I'm okay living with that. Maybe not Robert Downey Jr. on a boat, but like Robert Graysmith seems to be fine. He wrote a book, seems or a gray, couple books even. A gray hang, all those guys. Yeah, just go drink, drink some, aqua velvas. I was about to say, go drink some aqua velvas with those guys. That doesn't sound too bad. Mm-mm. Yeah, that that is just history, I guess. So that is like actually our 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 world, our universe. Mm. Um, well, yeah, that that, that let's go ahead and uh, segue into uh, the podcast today. Uh, this is the Deal Like Apples podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, I am your co-host, Drew Went, and my other co-host, Billy Rock, is here with me today. And uh, before we get into the episode, I want to introduce our guest. The other voice you're hearing is uh, our guest, Max Havey, freelance culture writer for St. Louis Magazine. This is Max, uh, your, your second appearance here on the podcast. We talked about, you and I talked about Michael Mann's Manhunter uh, in August, and uh, that was a great conversation. Um about serial killers and, and other things. And here you are back talking about serial killers again, uh, this time from David Fincher. Uh, Max, thanks for joining. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me back. I'm, I'm glad to glad to be talking Fincher this time. Should be should be a good conversation. Yeah, I think Billy and I were, were really wanting a guest for this one because we both love Fincher and we kind of wanted to add another, another voice, another perspective to the, to the mix and just make it kind of a, you know, I think a, a good discussion at uh, kind of diving in on his, on his films, but also kind of a celebration of, of all that is, you know, Fincher movies. So um, yeah. Uh, so we're talking about David Fincher today because uh, his new movie, the killer is out uh, in theaters right now and, and on Netflix on November 10th. Um, this is a uh, Michael Fassbender uh, assassin movie. Um, Billy and I have not seen it yet. Uh, you'll you'll hear our our thoughts in, in probably a couple weeks here once we get the chance to see it. Um, but Max, you saw it. Uh, you said this weekend. So you have any uh, quick thoughts for us before we get into the the general Fincher conversation? Yeah, sure. I mean, just from just from like a high level, uh, I I really dug what it was going for. Um, I've seen a lot of people on Letterbox kind of comparing it like as a movie about an exacting perfectionist hitman. Uh, trying to deal with a near miss. Uh, It's hard not to see that as sort of a reflection on David Fincher as a director, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think is an interesting way to watch that movie. Um, Fassbender's great. It's been a few years since he's been really in anything. He's in this and Next Goal Wins, the new Taika Waititi movie. It's coming out shortly. Um, It's nice to have him back. Uh, It's it's riffing a lot on the uh, Jean-Pierre Melville movie, uh, Les Samurai, a lot. 
That's a good um, movie. So lo- lo- lots of cool neo-noir stuff happening. Uh, Tilda Swinton shows up for a bit and knocks it out of the park, as you would expect from her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, go see it. It's great. Uh, see it in a the theater if you can. Yeah, I, I would love to see it in a the theater. I think, uh, unfortunately, Netflix doesn't really want us to see it in a theater. Uh, they're showing yeah. it, in, I think, one theater in our city here in St. Louis. Um, but, you know, get try to get out there and see it if you can. Um a new, a new Fincher movie is always is always an event. So, so yeah. So today on the podcast, we're gonna go ahead. Uh, we're gonna end up ranking all of David Fincher's movies, and uh, we're not gonna rank the killer because, like I said, Max is the only one who's seen it. But um, we're gonna rank uh, the other eleven movies uh, that David Fincher has made, and um, basically how this is gonna work is we're gonna start at number eleven. His you know quote unquote worst movie and uh one of us will nominate a movie we'll have a discussion between three of us and we'll have to come to some sort of consensus around uh do we agree okay yeah that this one is number 11 uh then we'll go to number 10 the next person will nominate a movie discussion we'll come to consensus and on and on uh down the list all the way to number one so yeah um Guys, when you when you do nominate a movie, just go ahead and you know give give a brief you know in case people haven't seen the movie, just give a brief like this is uh, this movie is about this uh, you know just very brief uh, synopsis would be great um, just so we can uh, you know kind of give people some context around you know the movies in case they haven't seen them. So, mm-hmm. and I would say uh, you know spoilers for these movies. I would say you know I don't think we necessarily will need to spoil the movies. Maybe some some light spoilers if you're concerned about it, but. I don't think we're going to go too deep on any one movie. So, you know, you don't have to worry uh, too much. Although I will say Fincher has some of the most famous twist endings um, of any living director. So, uh, you know, uh, if you want to, if you don't want to get spoiled on anything, just be warned that, uh, you know, there will be some discussion. So um, yeah, uh, guys, any, any thoughts or questions before we do, do this thing? Uh, Someone like Fincher is just, so much fun to talk about one because he has so few movies for how long he's been working um it's easier to uh talk about his whole career with such a small filmography like someone like kubrick or tarantino are obviously in similar boats of you can easily talk about all their movies because they're so concise and it it's so obvious what movies transition into what and it's exciting to see him continue to work and hopefully we have at least 20 30 more years of him as a director. If he keeps going till Marty and really Scott's age, I'd be very, very happy. So I'm excited to see our rankings and we're not negotiating rankings, right? We're just kind of revealing them as they come to us and we're switching off. Like Max is going to start and then on to me and well, Drew, right? Yeah. I, I was thinking we would kind of negotiate a, like a, okay. a combined, like a combined ranking of, of all of his movies. Got it. Sounds um, good. So, you know, well, there could be some, some arguments and disagreement. This is only the second time I've spoken with Max and the, <laughs> the first time Billy's spoken with Max. So hopefully some friendships won't end before they begin here, but no, you know, fingers crossed. Yeah. It will strengthen them. I'm sure. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. Uh, let's go ahead and, and kick it off. Uh, Max, you're the guest, so you can go first, um, you know, throw out a movie and you know, which one do you think is uh, Fincher's worst uh, ranked number 11 here? Yeah, so I, I think uh, making this list was really difficult, uh, kind of figuring out the middle of it. Uh, but I think I think the last one to me was was se- se- semi obvious, and it might be a little bit of recency bias. 
Uh, but 2020's Mank is my uh, is my number 11 pick here. Okay. Um, I'm, I judging by your reactions, you all do not feel the same way. I I don't love that movie as much as I kind of wish I did. Uh, and mind you, I've only seen it once, and that was a deep pandemic. Uh, mm-hmm. I like what it's going for. I don't think it is as effective as a lot of his other movies are for me. Um, and you know, it, it is it is tracking the development of Citizen Kane, highlighting Joseph Mankiewicz, the screenwriter of Citizen Kane, with a lot of homage going on there. Uh, Gary Oldman, I believe, is playing Mank, and Amanda Seyfried is the uh, the like ingenue who he's like kind of pushing in the film who i'm forgetting who the actress she's playing Marin is davies. offhand yeah Marin davies that's right um i don't know it's it's not it's not my uh it's not my first pick among his movies and probably the one i've been least likely to revisit at this point i think if i do i want to watch it in quick succession with citizen kane and mm-hmm. i imagine it will probably enrich my viewing of it at that point yeah billy where where we haven't talked about mank and you know since we saw it probably uh mm-hmm. i think we actually watched it together at your house back and deep pandemic days like you said max uh where are you on on mank bill have you rewatched it since then i think i've only seen it the one time um i remember liking it and it's it's in the middle for me for fincher should i give where it's at on my list now just since we're talking about it or yeah yeah you might yeah yeah so i have it at number seven for me um i had a i i it felt so unfincher like in a positive way. You could see him get sentimental because his father wrote the screenplay and I'm sure Fincher uh, gave his own input and changes to it as well. But um, it, was, it was really interesting to see Fincher uh, mix his love for past Hollywood and it, his own critiques into it while also having the backstory of it being a, a, a sentimental script that he felt like he needed to tell, even though it wasn't really his story. So I think that, built it up a lot. And I thought uh, Oldman and especially uh, Amanda Seyfried, I thought she was amazing in the movie, just Mm -hmm. really captivating, really enhanced, not enhanced. I really took advantage of her striking personality and face and really made it something unique in this movie. And I think even more so, more so than Oldman uh, really stood out for me. And I wish she would have, I think she got nominated thankfully, but I think she could be in the conversation of maybe winning that year. I actually, this was one of the uh, few movies I've rewatched in the last couple of weeks here as we were mm-hmm. kind of thinking about doing this podcast and hadn't seen it since 2020. I, I was, you know, I think I, I, when I first saw it, I was like, that was pretty good. You know, not, not a typical Fincher movie, but it was a nice change of pace. I think watching it this week, I was actually surprised how I expected my experience to deepen with it, rewatching it. And I, I almost felt the, the opposite happening. Like I was not as as into it as the first time. Um, hmm. And I don't know why that was. I think, I mean, this should be, this is a movie that should be absolute catnip for cinephiles like us, right? Like mm-hmm. it's about Citizen Kane. It's about uh, Orson Welles, Herman Mankiewicz, um, so many key old Hollywood figures. And I think that the love of, you know, old Hollywood and kind of the snappy dialogue is all there. And, but, but some of the Fincher acidness is there too, which is, mm-hmm. I think an interesting mix um, I would say, yeah, Billy, I think for me, I would say it's also in that probably seven, eight range. And, um, but I would say, um, I, I wanted to like it more than I think I, than I think I have. Um, so, you know, as far as where we're going to rank it, I would say, I would say I'm okay with it being kind of toward the back end here. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Billy, I'm interested. In, did you have? I'm interested if we had the same last movie, it's the same worst movie. Uh, well, since yeah, I'm up next. I'll kind of bring. Well, well, I, well, I, I was just gonna ask you what your what you thought the worst movie was because if we have the same one, I feel like we could probably just talk go about with it now. at eleven. Yeah. 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 Alien Three. Yeah, I, that's, yeah, yeah, that's the same. Yeah. yeah. It, it was my ten. That, yeah. that that's okay. that's. Firmly my 10 on, on a, on, on, on a different day, alien three could definitely be in that 11 slot. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's pretty close to the bottom. It's a movie I like, but close to the bottom. I was kind of hoping you were going to be like alien is alien three is my favorite David Fincher movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, we and then no we idea. could really get into it. <laughs> it's actually no. the best alien movie, alien three. Um, yeah. Well, no, that's Prometheus, but that's, that's a talk. Ooh, for another day. I like that. Yeah. I like that take. I don't agree we, we with need you, to, but I like that take. We need yeah. to have you on for the I don't Prometheus think even I agree spot. with that, but I like it. <laughs> it's a good take. Um, but yeah, Alien 3, if we were just want to move into talking about that, I think, yeah, that should be number 11 then. We'll figure out Mink as we go along. But Alien 3 actually finished today. So the game and Alien 3 are the last two missing for my Fincher filmography. And I watched the game on Friday night and uh, Alien 3 during the day today. And I thought the first half, despite the very con air uh space penitentiary version uh figures of uh horrible horrible people uh rapists as they say rapists thieves and murderers like as thieves are in the same conversation as that's one point they're (laughs) describing all the people in the penitentiary and they're like thieves rapists murderers i'm like well one doesn't quite uh fit that mold so much uh so let's leave one of them out um but i thought the first hour-ish uh despite the silly setup i thought had Decent setup, and I'm not quite sure if that was Fincher's doing. Uh, for anybody that doesn't know, Fincher uh, supposedly kind of got kicked out of filming this movie, and uh, he does not claim it as as its own. But despite all of that, um, I thought had some good scares and decent tension building. But at the last 30 minutes, I find pretty atrocious. Um, this the scares really go away, and the special effects have aged really poorly. You can tell they did some CGI with Alien and all that stuff, and it was. It was tough, but um, it's not a bad movie. It was a decent ad, uh, addition to the series, but just missed for me. Yeah, I think it's funny. The The Alien franchise is the first three movies you had three of our biggest directors like on early in their careers take mm-hmm. up the, an Alien movie. Um, and this one is, you know, I think by far the least successful. Although I agree, there's some interesting visual uh things happening like he's doing some interesting visual effects and and he's you know he's he's his first movie you know and he's mm-hmm. he's doing his best but yeah i think he was brought in to direct a mess and there was i think he, sure. they were shooting shooting without a script for a while yep. uh just sounds like an awful situation for your debut film um yeah well, and I mean, there's the, the element of it too, where he's a person coming from like the music video world, where it is so much like playing with tech, playing with like ideas in really short spans, mm-hmm. and then coming into a movie that is so formless at the time he's brought onto it, that's gone through multiple, multiple mm-hmm. rewrites, and like he's making the best of it, but like just it's not the kind of thing that they're gonna let a first-time filmmaker, you know, totally overhaul like like it's not a hundred million dollars, but like a, a pretty high-budget movie, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and he has disowned it. Um, I don't think he would hate us putting it uh, last on his. So if we both, Billy and I both have it at 11, Max, you have it at 10. Uh, 10. You're yeah. good with us putting it last oh, here yeah. at number 11? Okay. So Alien 3 will go will go last here at number 11. And then uh, Billy, uh, 
give us nominate a new movie for number ten. We can kind of number uh, ten. Um, I had Panic Room at number ten. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, a movie I've only seen once. Uh, saw within the last uh, five or six years, and really entertaining movie. And I think really fun to see Kristen Stewart uh, as a young actress uh, alongside Jodie Foster. And um, the reason it just this isn't sick is because it it really is Fincher just having a avenue to flex all of his new tech and his new ideas. And uh, it felt uh, uh, it had a lot of hole, holes emotionally as a result. It just, it didn't really connect with me. So um find it very impressive that a uh, contained thriller can be that thrilling, but something just seems to be missing uh, from the, from the core of it for me. Well, so do, do you know, there, there are, there are two things that are like very firmly missing about it that you may or may not know. I don't know. Uh, one, uh, Jodie Foster was not the original lead of that movie. Um, oh, okay. It was supposed to be Nicole Kidman, and she got injured like a week into filming or something like that, huh. and yeah. uh, had to drop of out of it. Yeah, so like they basically like had all these things like down to the millimeter to like to be Nicole Kidman, and Nicole Kidman's quite a bit taller than Jodie Foster, so they right. have like Jodie Foster standing on like apple boxes at some oh, point <laughs> to like. To, to make that to make those shots work because they were so precise in that way mm-hmm. and on the flip side um there's so much to forrest whitaker's character in that movie that like they made him to like forrest whitaker made that character too sympathetic and they had to like reshoot the ending <laughs> because of that that's hilarious. like the, 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 there are whole things there like i i have i have panic room a little bit higher uh mm-hmm. here i have it at seven um but it i i, I find it interesting as it being sort of him really like trying to do things in a confined space and still be very showy about mm-hmm. it. Like, yeah, it, it feels, I, I saw someone compare it to like, wait until dark. Um, the, the Audrey Hepburn movie, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, which is like a woman, like a blind woman in her house while there are like robbers in there. Yeah. It's a great um, movie. Yeah. yeah. But so like, I don't know. I, I've, I've always been kind of fascinated by it. And I only recently learned about those, two, both of those little tidbits. Yeah. Uh, Cause blank check the podcast covered a panic room not terribly long ago mm-hmm. and talked about that. And it kind of deepened my, uh, deepened my experience with that. And I, I, I dig what Jodie Foster's doing and baby Kristen Stewart <laughs> and, and Dwight Yoakam being terrifying. Like there, yeah. there, there are some, in, there's interesting stuff there. There are seeds to what I think is going to make uh, movies further down the line from panic room uh, sure. work even better because mm-hmm. of that. I, I really like panic room. Uh, I, I, that, that is funny that Jodie Foster came in for Nicole Kidman would have been great. Because uh, she's always very, very good. But uh, I, yeah, something about Jodie Foster and Kristen Stewart together in that movie really works for me. And I agree. Even, even you know, the script is you know, it's it's not a mind blowing take on the home invasion thriller, but it's, it's a good setup. You know, they um, and then uh, you have Jared Leto, you have Forrest Whitaker. I I, I like the cast. Um, and yeah, the it it really feels like so. This is after Fight Club. It feels like Fincher is just like, let's just go for it, man. Let's just do crazy stuff. Let's get let's get acrobatic with this camera. Uh, he's shooting through like, uh, he, at one point he takes the camera through like the handle of a coffee pot. Um, yeah. He's he's doing wild stuff, um, and he he's just he's just having a blast, which is part of the reason. It's such an awesome exercise in style, um, and and pacing, and and that's kind of why I, I'm partial to it. I I, I agree. I wouldn't say it's near his top but yeah it's probably in that seven range for me too um so it feel 10 feels a little bit 
low, Billy. I would say I would say I would be okay with Mank here at ten, unless you want to push it further, Bill. Um, if you if you don't if you don't. Do you guys that. both have Panic Room at seven or eight or around there? Yeah, yeah, I have yeah. Panic Room at seven. Yeah, I'm cool with uh, Mank at ten. I think. Yeah. Okay. Let, let's do Mank at ten. Alien three at eleven. Mank at ten. And we'll go to number nine, which also I will very go hold on. Very random. The poster on Letterboxd for Panic Room is like an airbrushed face of Jodie Foster with uh, the uh, home invaders in the background. And it just looks like Rebecca Ferguson on the poster. And now I want to see an updated Panic Room sequel with uh, Rebecca Ferguson as the lead. I think that would work really well. Oh. It's, it's who, would, who would direct? Would uh, oh yeah, did, no, Fincher come back? Yeah, no. Okay, do, do like say, what's, do what like Psycho Two, site like Psycho Two did with Gus Van Sant or the original Psycho remake by Gus Van Sant, and just do a shot for shot remake with Rebecca Ferguson. I think that will go over well. <laughs> People would love it. They would love it. Wow, that does look like I mean, a the Rebecca Ferguson, Ferguson. Heads are really right. They're going to go crazy for this one. They're going to go yeah. crazy. Let me direct. I can do it. But yeah, yeah right? doesn't it look like Rebecca Ferguson? I'm looking at it right now. It looks a lot like Rebecca Ferguson. That's funny. Yeah, it's it's, it's freaking me out. Because I, I wouldn't say they look... I mean, they look a similar, I guess, but I wouldn't say they look like twins. No. Um, okay, so uh, number nine. I am going to go ahead and... I'm going to nominate a movie that I have not seen in a long, long time. Uh, admittedly, it's been many, many years since I've seen this. Uh, Fincher's probably his first true prestige play uh let i'm gonna i'm gonna nominate curious case of benjamin button hmm. uh 2008 um drama obviously based on the f, f scott fitzgerald story uh if you know if you don't know about benjamin button he ages backwards guys uh he's he's a a very old baby um and this is a i mean on the surface a patently ridiculous story um but and, and I'm still a little bit mystified as why Fincher wanted to make it, other than you know working with Brad Pitt, Kate Blanchett, you know a great cast. Um, and I think there's a lot of a lot of things to admire about the movie. But uh, Pitt and Blanchett, I think, are both tremendous, um, especially around the kind of the middle part where they their characters kind of meet in age, and they're both around like their 30s or 40s or whatever. That part of the movie is kind of sublime. Um, but yeah, I, it's long. It, it doesn't fully come together for me. Um, but like I said, need, need to rewatch it. It's one of the only Fincher movies I've only seen once. So need to watch it again. Where are you guys on, on Ben Button? Um, so I, I, this is one of like the two or three I didn't have time to revisit ahead of this one, uh, or at least that I haven't revisited in the last year or so. Um, I had it at eight, so pretty, pretty close. Um, I remember liking it a lot at the time. Haven't really thought about it much since then. Um, I think another element to what really drew Fincher to this is that all of the like de-aging mm-hmm. like effects and things of that sort like that, I think really drew him to sort of gave, gave him something to sink his teeth into technically with this movie and, you know, working with Brad Pitt and kind of getting that sort of Oscars cred that sets him up, you know, for basically becoming a mainstay yeah. of Oscar season. If he has something coming out, um, yeah, I think, I think it's, I, I think it's a good movie that is trying a lot of stuff. It doesn't, it doesn't stray into like Forrest Gump territory. It's, it's not treacly, but like, I think it has moments that are pretty great. It's just kind of, it's just kind of overstuffed and that's just how it goes. Hmm. 
No, I, I, I like this movie like. a good bit. I can, uh, I, I, I love Fincher's uh, attempt to kind of create his type of uh, uh, early Americana type uh, movie where it's just, it's sprawling. It's, it's set in a certain time period where you can be super uh, stylized. And it obviously it looks like we're going into the past, but it, it also feels like a, a timeless story. And uh, seeing uh, Fincher not only seek his teeth into um, the technology of de-aging, um, but I think just him having the interest in this sprawling of a story and just a complete storytelling aspect, I think fascinates. I mean, you haven't really seen him go back into this big of a story. His, his stories are normally pretty straightforward, um, especially him just playing with form and all that stuff. And this felt like a really good uh, mend of both of his major skill sets. And uh, so I had this one, uh, about three spots above this at number six. So um, I, I'm, a, I'm it's, it's on my upper tier of Fincher. Barely. There's, there's uh, like Max said earlier, like day to day, this, this list can change a lot, but as of right now, Ben Button is uh, not quite like a, a major achievement, but I, I find underrated in Fincher's career. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, would you, is there another movie you guys would, would want to put at nine here? Cause Billy's a little higher on it than I am. Um, is there another movie that makes sense here at nine? Um, I, I think mean, Mank would probably need to be at nine, and then but well, we we put Mank at ten, right? Oh, did we put? Oh, yeah, that's right. But, we put Panic Room is still up to be discussed. That's right. So Mank at ten, and then okay. Um, I mean, it, I guess it's down to Panic Room and um, Benjamin Button. Or, or, or a secret third thing. Or a secret third thing uh, that might be mine next I, to. I, I, I was I was going to say the game as oh, being okay. maybe, maybe, maybe. I'm, a, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Billy, Billy a, I want to know, because yeah. you just watched the game. I'm really curious to hear your thoughts. Because uh, you, you texted me that you were watching, and I was like, I, after it finishes, I want to know what you think of this, of the end right. of the game. Um, I have the game below ben, Benjamin Button, and uh, I have one other movie ranked a little bit lower um, than the game currently. Um, but before we get into potentially that movie, I liked it. It's one of those movies, I, the first 20 minutes, I was like, man, I wish I saw this in high school. This would have, if with the right crowd and with the just the right friend group, this movie could have become my personality, I think. Um, <laughs> my, my big movie when I was in high school that I fell in love with which is very different, but equally kind of as stupid is uh, the movie Wanted uh, with oh, yeah. uh, James McAvoy. I got so into that in high school. And I feel like the game, just if I saw this movie on a different week, uh, it, it could have been my uh, my Wanted kind of. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I liked it a good bit, um, mainly because I, I saw somebody call it like uh, Fincher's It's a Wonderful Life. And uh, kind of when it was framed that way, I... I started to think more positively on it. Um, but ultimately it definitely is in my lesser tier around where Max nominated uh, the game. Yeah. Uh, I did rewatch the game. Um, I had forgotten a lot of things. I mean, Michael Douglas and, and Sean Penn um, are very, very good in this movie, mm-hmm. uh, which I had forgotten. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's a really great setup. Um, and for those who don't know, Sean Penn's, character is is the brother of michael douglas for his birthday he gets him something called the game which is very mysterious for most of the movie crazy things start happening to michael douglas uh who's like a high-powered um is he 
what, what is he an attorney it's like a corporate raider like a, yeah he's like, okay they, they call him like a corporate raider i don't know mm-hmm. i don't know what like really i don't know what that exactly is but yeah and the whole movie you're you're like is this is this the game is it all fake is, is are they trying to are they trying to uh steal this guy's wealth you know like what's going on here uh, he almost dies a few times um and then <laughs> the end which i guess I, I don't know if we have to give away but um it's funny because the movie is like in line with a lot of Fincher movies, it has a lot of the visual hallmarks, a lot of the themes. It's very, it's very clinically precisely made. It's -hmm. about the fear of losing control, which I'm sure is a very deep seated fear for David Fincher. Um, But yeah, the ending is just not totally satisfying for me. I I just, I, I don't know what I wanted with the ending, but it didn't get there for me. Um, I'm okay with it at, at putting it at number nine, Max, uh, you have any game thoughts before we decide? Not not a ton more. I mean, like, yeah, I I, I kind of think it doesn't really transcend by the end. It's a fun watch. I think I think it's a really good first watch. I don't know if it really continues to hold up on more watches uh, than that. I remember watching it when I was like 18, 19 and really loving it. And then not watching it until uh, a few months ago. And, you know, about, about 10 years. And it, you know, it, it it didn't quite hit the same. It's that's not a bad thing. It's still a really well made movie. Still got a lot of stuff going for it. It's, it's fine. It's it's there. But yeah, that's before, funny. The, go ahead, Bill. Well, I was well, Drew. You keep talking about the game. If you're going to bring something else up, but I have one movie below it. And I'm interested to see. Uh, okay. So yeah. I have what's, I, what's I have the movie? game at eight. Um, but my number nine, number nine. Yeah, my number nine is Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Um, mm. Is that higher for you guys uh, before I? Yeah. Yeah. Girl with Dragon Tattoo. Yeah, I've got, I've got that quite a bit higher. <laughs> okay. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> um, okay. We'll, so we'll push wrong. off the. I'm wrong. We'll push off the conversation. So I guess the game is going at nine since I only have a one uh, one spot ahead of it. It's so. it's funny, Max. You Actually, you guys were both talking about watching Fincher movies when you're younger, maybe in high school, early college. Um, it's funny how most of his movies kind of like the way you watch them when you're in high school or, or just growing up, you know, a young adult versus when you get a little bit older, it's funny how they kind of morph. Um, I think we'll talk about this maybe a little more with some of the other movies we're going to talk about that are a little higher up on the list, but um, you know, there, there's so many different things to like about his movies. And I think your perspective changes as you age and as you mature and you find he's such an interesting artist in that way that you can latch onto him as an 18 year old because of these reasons and then you can latch onto him as a, you know, 20 years later or whatever. It, I'm not 38, but uh, <laughs> yet, but um, for, you know, other reasons, you know, so um, he's, he's a fascinating filmmaker in that way. But so, yeah, I, are we all good with the game at nine? Yeah, I think I'm okay with that. Cause I have yeah. Benjamin Button higher than the game on my list. Okay. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm cool with that. Okay. So the game is at nine. Uh, I think we're to max now at eight to nominate a a film. Um, so we've already talked about my do to do. We've already talked about my eight and seven. I had Benjamin Button at eight and Panic Room at seven. I would probably say uh, which two are still on the board there? Would it be Benjamin Button at eight or Those, Panic Room at eight? They're both still on on the board. So yeah, mm, would okay. you say you you said which one you had at eight? Benjamin Button. Let Let's say Panic Room at a uh, okay. eight there. So yeah, that was my number seven. Um, 
I'm and Billy, you had it. You had it much lower. So I'm good with panic room at eight. At eight, if you guys aren't. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Okay, so that one that one that was an easy one. Um, panic room <laughs> at number eight. Um, okay, number seven, Billy. Uh, who who would you like to to put up here? Is is this Dragon Tattoo time or is this? Uh... Um. Yeah. Let's 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 start that conversation. Um. Yeah, I just find this movie to be kind of a drag. Um, it is Fincher writing that line of creating a super fucked up movie in a tantalizing way that I think for the right audience, which sounds like you guys, is uh, something that you find. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're depraved freaks. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Find uh, a lot more fondly. And I, that's where Fincher yeah. is so great. He uh, allows the sicko and all of us to really be seen. Um, but something about Dragon Tattoo is uh he he goes a little bit away from his i feel like tongue-in-cheek violence um that he can kind of you you understand the style with it whereas this one feels maybe that's props to him much more real and traumatic and uh he's he's going for something different that i just didn't fully vibe with and it it might fully be just that i was put off by it Uh, it, it's not like a lesser made fincher movie by any means but it's just yeah it's it's just a drag I, I understand that uh, that 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 feeling there. That's definitely how I felt the first time I watched it back when it came out. Um, I think I think a lot of that is intentional. It's because mm-hmm. it is a movie that is so mired in trauma and like trying to like just kind of plumb the depths of those to try and find answers. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 a it's a tough hang. It's not it's not <laughs> the easiest watch in the world. And uh, it, it's it's pretty brutal. It's pretty graphic. But like for an adaptation of like a Scandinavian like political thriller, mm-hmm. that feels about right. That feels like what right. what I would expect that to be. And like I, I had a hard time with it. I liked it a lot more this time around because there's a lot of like meta elements there now to like look at like Daniel Craig playing a like burnt out detective versus the you know the dandy fop that he plays as as mm. uh, Benoit Blanc now. But Mikhail Blomqvist is like so burnt out, just chain smoking the whole time. Like that man is not James Bond there. He looks so bedraggled, like just so mm-hmm. beaten down. And that element of it is incredible. Uh Rooney Mara is incredible as Elizabeth Salander. Like my 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 day job is in cybersecurity and uh fascinating to see like that depiction of what a hacker is. That's mm. very romanticized, very yeah. uh <laughs> it's 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 not it's not maybe not accurate, but it's interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't deal with yeah, a lot of Elizabeth, I don't know. Elizabeth Slanders in your day, day-to-day uh, work? Not, <laughs> not really. I mean, like I'm on the marketing side, so like not, not really, not, not in my, not in my world. I'm, I'm the eccentric millennial on that team. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I've, I have, I have it much higher on my list. I have a uh, girl with the dragon tattoo at number five. for me. Hmm. We were talking about, uh, Fincher makes movies for sickos and freaks. Um, one of my favorite David Fincher quotes among many, he has, he has many great quotes is, uh, people are perverts. That's pretty much been the basis of my career anyway. Uh, which really sums up Fincher, uh, his dark humor. Like, is he serious about that? Is he, is he half serious? Um, but that, that quote honestly fits for a lot of his movies. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. Girl with the dragon tattoo. It's another one that's kind of curious. Like, why did he make this? I mean, the 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 trilogy, the original trilogy, came out like a couple of years before th- this movie mm-hmm. uh, in twenty eleven. Um, but then on the other hand, it, it's it so perfectly matches the Fincher 
the Fincher vibe, right. With the mm-hmm. story and, and how, how he, he lays it out. It's so icy. Um, I don't find this a drag at all, Billy. I found it utter, utterly compelling the whole way through. Um, mm-hmm. I will say some of the, it is so dark and so grim at points that it does get to be like, is there any light here? Am I going to get to any, any uh, light at the end of the tunnel here? Um, but I don't know. That is what is so watchable about it for me. Um, and yeah, I agree. Rooney Mara is outstanding. I would have watched mm-hmm. them make two more of these movies, uh, even though they, they didn't um, for, you know, a, a number of reasons, I guess. But um, yeah, so I think I have Dragon Tattoo at six on my list. So really only one spot below this. Max has, has a, little, a little higher. Um, so that probably I think our, means Benjamin Button goes at um, goes at seven. At seven. Yeah, that's that makes sense okay. to me if, if that works for you guys. Um, yeah. yeah, I think so. Based on it doesn't seem like any of us have super hot takes yet. So um, yeah, it doesn't seem like we're going to be arguing too much up to this point. But I think six through one could get dicey and i'm excited about it soon yeah um, so we are at uh number six which is is that me do i yeah it's, yeah yeah it's you mm-hmm. yeah okay so i'm gonna nominate at number six so we have we have dragon ted 2 live and then we have five other movies that we haven't even brought up yet mm-hmm. um however i just i just said i had dragon ted 2 at, at number six so i'm gonna go ahead and and nominate dragon ted 2 to, to go here Okay. Um, but I'm open to arguments to put something else yeah. here at number six. I, I feel perfectly fine about it being at six. That's, I mean, like at at this point, like I don't I don't think any of the movies we've talked about on this list so far are quote unquote bad. No, uh, I think they they all pretty much have their merits and are all relatively pretty good. Uh, so it's it's by like decimal points here. Yeah, and so I got I got no issue with that one being six versus five. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Awesome. Okay, so Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is going at. Uh, number six and all right so we are at number five max you go ahead and nominate uh, a movie for number five yeah so i had at number six uh david fincher's fight club yeah Ooh. of course david fincher this is a david fincher list uh, at fight <laughs> club at number six um i rewatched that for the first time and i think maybe a decade on friday night and was just kind of struck by how funny it is because I kind of forgot mm. a lot of the humor. Mm-hmm. I, I had I had read the book in sort of that interim time and had kind of avoided going back to it because it is such like a it, it's really mired in this like specific vein of like toxic masculinity mm-hmm. and seems to have uh, influenced like the worst dudes you knew in your college dorm <laughs> who watch it once and think they're an anarcho socialist. Right. Um, Without or think they're think they're an anarchist and and don't really think beyond that. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes beyond that. Watching this, I think I think it moves beyond that sort of like film bro big air quotes stereotype of that movie because it's very much a critique of that kind of person and very much like trying to trying to like I I, I like to think of it more as a sort of like Gen X like reckoning like you know mm. at at one point Edward Norton calls himself a thirty year old child. Uh, trying to find his way through the world through a world that is just filled with consumerism and people trying to sell him things and subliminal messaging and all of this stuff and sort of like getting sort of snapped awake in that sort of oh, not you know almost like the matrix it, it has it has a lot of stuff going on that that might be giving it too much credit if i'm being totally honest but 
Uh, it's really effective. Uh, of course, it has its twists and turns. It taught us all what cigarette marks are uh, when you're That's watching right. a movie on yeah. 35 millimeter. Um, yeah, I think I think it is firmly near like the back end of his top, but uh, still a very very solid movie as it as it stands. Billy, Fight Club for you. Where? How are you? How are you feeling about um, it these days? I, I I feel awesome about it. I have a number five, so not too far off of this spot. Um, or exactly the spot in this where I have it. Um, but yeah, it, it is so magnetic. And uh, when I like think of uh, that transition of like late nineties into 2000 filmmaking, this feels like a perfect transition point. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously super political and uh, as Max brought up, just the, one of the classic examples of so many people getting seemingly the wrong message out of it or just being too inspired by it. Um, and I think for even that reason makes it um, a really interesting point in Fincher's career. It gave him cred and also skepticism and uh, has kind of clouded his whole career since of uh, he's, he's recognizable from this point onward. He's, he's an event filmmaker. And I think people have started to develop their own uh, notions and uh, uh, preconceived thoughts about him for, for better or for worse. And uh I think that's even though Fight Club isn't quite there of my favorites uh, in the top half or the top four. I mean, it, uh, it it is only fond in my head when I rewatch rewatch it, which is about once a year. I, I think it's like very much defining that like like that razor edge like fine line of of being this sort of grim that sort of grim dark like you know like this is this is the world man and uh, <laughs> a very a very like knowing satire on the mm-hmm. other side of that and like really firmly like defines like draws that line in the sand and a lot of things that try to emulate that learn the wrong lessons much like mm-hmm. people learning the wrong lessons from watching that movie mm-hmm. absolutely yeah 100 um roger ebert in his the first line of, of his review of this movie back in 99 said it's a frankly and cheerfully fascist big star movie that's how strongly people felt about this movie in 1999 mm-hmm. it was like it was just it was a bomb lobbed into like like imagine a movie like this coming out in 2023. It, it would be, I mean, you couldn't get on Twitter or, or letterbox. It would be insane. <laughs> right. It really would. The, the, the closest we've had to that was the Joker in 2019. That's right. Which yeah. is yeah. like had, had such a, had such a toxic aura to it that like, I, I never saw it. I, I just kind of avoided Joker. it altogether. Wow. Yeah. It, and I just, I, at the time I was just like, you know what? I don't need this. I, I gotta like, I gotta draw my line somewhere. And like that's that's like the closest I can think to anything else in the intervening like last like twenty years that's felt similar to that. I, I agree. That's that's a good comp. Um, however, uh, Joker is a ripoff, whereas <laughs> Fight Club is a like visionary, bold, like yes, original. You know, like and it's funny to think about um, Fincher and Brad Pitt and Ed Norton. I think they. I think they just had a blast making this movie. Like they were, mm-hmm. they wanted to make something provocative and, and go for it. And they absolutely did. Um, when I was talking about, you know, movies in high school that we have a different appreciation for now, I think this is definitely one of them. Um, mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, so my senior year in high school, we, uh, we did, uh, and Billy went to the same high school, so he, he knows about this, but we did a, what was called the senior integration project. So, we, we uh, basically, you, you had a group of, of people that you worked with and you picked t- basically any topic you wanted and you did a paper and a presentation on it. We chose the movies of David Fincher 
pro- mostly because of Fight Club, because uh, mm-hmm. we just thought it was awesome. It was sick. Um, you know, we, but honestly, doing that project was like a way to like think more critically and more thoughtfully about his movies. And it made mm-hmm. me not just watch Fight Club as like, oh, man, that that's such a crazy movie, man. And actually think about what the filmmakers are trying to say and think through you know, the, you know, materialism and consumerism and, and all these big ideas, existentialism, all these big ideas within Fight Club. And I, I have it a little higher on my list. I have it at three. Um, mm-hmm. I I just think it's immaculately crafted. It's just perfectly cast. Uh, Helena Bonham Carter, Carter is tremendous as well. I, I, I was, I was going to mention her if we didn't yeah. bring her up. Because I, I, her as Marla is just... Just watching her chew scenery and just smoke in the background of support Mm -hmm. group meetings or what, what's the line? I haven't been fucked like that since grade school. Uh, Just, just (laughs) casually just lobbing, just, just home runs. It's great. It's, it's wonderful. It's so funny. Did you guys see this like that? You don't. Did you see guys? And I think she said it was either Brad Pitt or her. We're talking about like the other jokes that came up for that scene uh, that apparently went even further then uh oh, yeah. like that since grade school like they just them riffing that's the one that made it yeah that's the one that made it and i think there's yeah. maybe a couple other iterations that they mentioned but uh i i almost want to see that just like that blooper reel but just the, right. the snippets of behind the scene I, of what what were their other ideas the, the, there was the, the one other one that i know that is uh what i think the original written line there was uh, I want to have your abortion. I believe oh, was Jesus the uh, was, her, was her line there, uh, which is which is equally dark as hell, but very yeah. funny. Yeah, um, yeah, Insane. yeah. I think Fincher, you, you, you see some of the you see some of the dark humor. You know, mm-hmm. now I think looking at the rest of Fincher's career, you can kind of see his really acid sense of humor burning through that whole movie. No, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I'm okay with Fight Club here, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. You guys both have it at five, so I think I think we should put it here at five and move on to uh, number four. Are we good with that? Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think so. Uh, so enough. Who's up? I, I lost track. Billy, you're, yeah. you you nominated a movie here for number four. All right. My number four is seven. As is mine. Okay. Speak um, on it. Yeah, this one. This one's tough to put even this low. Um, there's not too many movies that have such a perfect uh, uh, kind of untarnished vision in my head. Of I remember the first time I saw it, I remember all the times I've watched it since, and I find it totally gripping all the way through each time, despite knowing the twist now. Um, but the nihilistic nature and um, because those uh, huge climactic moments are so memorable, um, it, it, it creates it a little bit le- less of an effect the next go uh, go around. So um, it, it was so mesmerizing the first time, but it just hasn't quite uh, been as consistent for me than my top three spots. But I love it almost completely. It, it's I think these top four that I have are all in my top like 100, maybe even top 50 all the time. They're all fantastic. Absolutely, and I mean, like, just, just to, just, just for full, full visibility, uh, mm-hmm. I think Seven was probably what I would have said a top five movie for me was, and I was like eighteen, probably the not the first Fincher movie that I saw, but the first one that like really like, mm-hmm. you know, sunk in for me that I really, really enjoyed. Um, 
I appreciate it as a really good piece of like neo noir, mm-hmm. uh, Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman as these like very like you know bedraggled cops. A thing a thing that David Fincher loves is a a beat down uh, kind of investigator type. And yeah, I don't. It's not at four because I think it's lesser than the other three that are up here. Mm-hmm. It's just more that I think my conception of what makes Fincher a great filmmaker uh, is more present in the other three that we haven't talked about here yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Seven is, it's such a noir, neo-noir thriller masterpiece. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I love how like the, the violence and the murder is like all aftermath. It's like none of it's happening on screen. Um, right. So your, your imagination is just running every time you see a crime it's scene. It's all implied. Or, yeah, exactly. And I don't know why it, this movie is so incredibly bleak, especially the ending, but I just find it so rewatchable. I just, it is, I, yeah. I could, I could re- rewatch this movie all the time. Um, that would put me in a weird headspace, but um, <laughs> yeah. I, I have seven quite a, I've had it too. Um, I, oh, I wow. really love seven. Uh, I'm finding that I'm maybe stuck in the nineties a little more with, with Fincher than you guys <laughs> are. Um, but the only other one that I'm curious to see that I want to bring up here at, four before we put seven at four is i want to see how high you guys are on gone girl because i have gone girl at five i have gone girl at two i have okay. it at three yeah okay so yeah i think i think it needs to be a little higher than than four then so i'm i'm good with seven here um at number four so we have three films to go and is it me do i nominate mm-hmm. yes yeah. So three films to go. And okay, what am I going to put here? So I guess, I guess I just brought it up. I'll, I'll nominate Gone Girl here at number three. How, where are you guys on, uh, on David Fincher's 2014 Gone Girl uh, adaptation of a Jillian Flynn uh, uh, novel? Um, this is, uh, you know, Ben Affleck, Rosamund Pike, uh, very twisty, um, a uh, very uh, psychological thriller um, that Fincher is uh, adapting and a fascinating, fascinating portrait of of ever, everyone involved who made this movie, really. Um, mm-hmm. You can go in so many different directions with this movie. Um, and I think it was one that when it came out, like people didn't quite know what to do with. I mean, it was it was like, I think generally people, critics were, were impressed. And I think, but I, I think, feel like it's, it's only it hasn't even been out 10 years and I think it's already kind of, it's pretty high on our list. And I think people are kind of reappraising it every year almost. Um, so yeah. Where, where do you guys go on girl thoughts? This is my number three. Um, and I find this to have the best performance in all of Fincher's movies. Ben Affleck in this movie is unreal. Um, I, I don't think I ever thought Ben Affleck to be even, uh, an actor that I love, but not necessarily a good actor. And this completely like, kind of threw off my expectation for him and everything else. Um, um, I love the potential look at uh, Fincher consciously using uh, Affleck as the tortured fame figure. I um, mean, you, you kind of have to believe that uh, Fincher knew what he was doing when casting Ben Affleck in this role. And I find this movie when I was bringing up like what a girl with the dragon tattoo and a little bit with seven, this movie being so depraved, but a depraved that I love completely. Like there's so much humor in this movie that I, I noticed from the jump. And the first time I was like, 
oh gosh, I've been laughing a lot through this movie. I don't know if I'm supposed to. And then I watched it again. I'm like, oh no, I should be laughing at this. Most yeah. of this part of this movie. So oh yeah. It is hilarious. And I, I love this movie so much. I saw this funny enough on a first date with somebody and that was, uh, yeah. So that, that was, that was tough. It uh, made a very wow. memorable first date, but it wow. was, yeah. Uh, we did not go on any more dates after that for obvious well, reasons. You so, don't say. Yeah, Anne, Anne Hathaway. It's her. It's her favorite rom com. If you guys have yeah. seen that clip, exactly it's what so I was good. about to say too. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So I, I could have gone with it and maybe made this person a, a more significant figure in my life, but at the time I was like, nope, can't trust you. Saw the movie very service level, and uh, but yeah, I, everything about that movie, this movie, I love. Yeah, I I also. Uh, love it it's it's number it's number two for me like a i mean there's the missouri of it all which has mm-hmm. always been a thing that i've been yep. fascinated by yep. shot in cape Girardeau. um ben affleck on the cusp of being the most divorced man of all time mm-hmm. uh and and a movie that very much feels him leaning into that mm-hmm. i really really love the turn halfway through yes. this movie as someone who didn't read the book beforehand i didn't really know where we were going and as Rosman Pike's voiceover cuts into all of that and mm-hmm. sort of reveals the gambit that she's crafted here, uh, I was just sucked in, just sucked in, total catnip to me. Uh, additionally, I, I want to note that this movie, along with um, uh, the movie Nightcrawler, uh, were a huge influence on my master's thesis that I wrote, mm. which was about the depiction of journalists uh, in film, comparing the 2010s to the 1970s. Um it, I did not wind up writing about this movie, but I've always kind of thought of Gone Girl as a movie about uh, what happens when two disillusioned magazine writers get together and uh, their life slowly curdles and what yeah. like a twisted worldview of someone who's stuck writing front of book content for Cosmopolitan, uh, what happens when they uh, sort of lose touch with reality. Mm-hmm. And which, which is interesting because uh, Jillian Flynn was a writer for Entertainment Weekly for a really That's long right. time right. before, you know, I think while she was publishing her, uh, you know, her, her novels, and then has been able to move off that. And I think I think part of the reason Gone Girl works as well as it does is that Gillian Flynn wrote the screenplay to this movie. Yeah, and I think I think that's kind of not lost on this movie. And um, yeah, and additionally, a really fun like supporting cast of this movie. Casey Wilson as the very pregnant neighbor yeah, is so such a funny choice. <laughs> uh, Carrie Coon, who's incredible in everything. Kim Dickens as Boney and her partner, uh, Patrick Fugit from Almost Famous. Mm-hmm. Um, Emily Ratchikowski as the other woman, which is also very fun. Very fun. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. There, there's just so much, there's so many details here. Uh, we're forgetting an incredible uh, uh, pinch hit role for Tyler Perry. Yep. As, oh, um, as, so good as, in this movie. Um, I'm going to forget the name of the lawyer, but he's so good in that movie. He's mm-hmm. so good. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris as the uh, as the ex-boyfriend. Every little bit is so meticulously planned and just it moves like a Swiss watch the way that I like something like Ocean's Eleven. Like it is it is such a well thought out movie and so meticulous and it lends itself so well to what David Fincher does. And mm-hmm. for, for, for me, like that is, it is kind of the the perfect encapsulation of like a Fincher noir, like souped up to 11. Yeah. I think the only potential takeaway for this movie is this movie is full of characters that Fincher, I think consciously casted to subvert expectations of them all the way mm-hmm. down to Tyler Perry. And I'm not quite sure if Neil Patrick Harris works in this movie. 
Um, so I, I'm interested to hear you guys take, and that's why it's kind of at three teetering on my number two, because uh, whenever he's in the major uh, kind of uh, transition points of the movie, he, it, it takes me out. He doesn't quite. I'm wondering if he maybe just has a little too much screen time. I'm wondering if he would have been in a little bit less of the movie. I wonder if, because I, I did read the book before the movie came out and mm-hmm. he is, he does, you know, he kind of fits the character on, on the page pretty well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I do wonder if he's maybe not quite strong enough actor to be in as much of the movie as he is, but right. um, what do you think, Max? I think, th- I think there's just so much going on in this movie already that like his just kind of feels like a hat on a hat at a certain point. Cause you're almost expecting another twist to come with Desi as that sort <laughs> right, of, yeah. as that character coming in this late in the game. Like it, it just feels like, I, I think, I think no matter what he's doing, cause I, I, I like that performance for like what he's there to do. Cause like he doesn't, he doesn't have a ton, but like right. he, he's talked about in such hushed tones up to that point that you're like kind of expecting a little bit more. And I don't know if that's necessarily his fault. I think the, I think the movie just doesn't have room for it. That's fair. So, so this movie made three hundred and sixty-nine million dollars worldwide. Uh, this wild. is like such a twisted depiction of love and marriage, and uh, just Fincher rules, man. Like it's <laughs> it's insane that, that this movie was so successful at the box office. And Rosamund Pike, I mean, I don't know if she'll ever get a role like this again. She's so good, and yeah, I don't know if Ben Ben Affleck's ever been utilized better. Um, I mean, Rosamund Pike wasn't even nominated for an Oscar for that movie, right? No, I think I she think was. She was. was she? Yeah, okay, I think she was. But part of me was like, I, I just, I just remember being just so mad. I'm like, Rosamund Pike didn't. I, I kept thinking that she didn't get any recognition whatsoever, but she, she did. She should have won, she, but not yeah. winning. Her not performance winning. is because was this? Well, did they give her supporting that, or did they give her lead actress? I'm trying to think. Ooh, uh, I, that I don't know. Okay, um, let's right let's now. look at the yeah, we can look it up. 14 Oscars. It's uh, okay. it's Julianne Moore for Still Alice, Marion Cotillard for Two Days, One Night. Uh, Felicity Jones for Theory of Everything, Rosamund Pike for Gone Girl, and Reese Witherspoon for for Wild, which I forgot about. That's a that's a Reese oh. Witherspoon role that I do like a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Wild. I mean, I don't know if I've seen Still Alice, and I don't know if anybody has, but um, Gone. Yeah, I just I, I'm I'm sad that Rosamund Pike didn't get get the win here. Yeah. She was so good. Well, the, 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 she was the only nomination for the movie too, which tells you how mm-hmm. how uh, much people. Identify this movie with her with her performance. Right. Um, I mean, that was also such a like that Gone Girl was so out of the conversation for what was happening that year because it was it, every everything else was either Boyhood, Birdman, yeah. or I believe Grand Budapest Hotel. Like it was yeah. it was any of those really, with like you know Whiplash and American Sniper kind of clawing their way in for dear life. But and this movie is too was, too lurid, too twisty, too. It's just it's too trashy to be. Yeah, Academy approved. Um, For sure. Yep. Okay, so considering we have two movies that we haven't even mentioned yet, I'm assuming we both have them very near our top. Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. let's go ahead and go Gone Girl at three. I think that makes the most sense. And uh, we're at number two. Um, and are we at Max? Are we back to you? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So what I had at number three, but I'm perfectly fine putting it to, is uh, Zodiac uh, okay. from 2008. That was my, 2008. I think it was 2008, but that was my number, uh, number uh, two. So, yeah, uh, I so mean, th- it's it's incredible. Yeah. Like Fincher, kind of being ahead of the curve on the true crime wave. Yep. And I mean, essentially, 
remaking Bong Joon-ho's Memories of Murder as his own movie is extremely interesting. Uh, I got to see it when it was playing at Alamo, I think like a month or two ago. And just seeing that like on the big screen in the theater, like really like, cause that is a long hang of a movie. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just beautifully made. Just technically just, it's all that like Fincher precision on parade with really, really good performances from a cavalcade of people that we love. It's mm-hmm. there's, there's what's not to like about it truly. Yeah. I kind of think of like Zodiac as like almost like new Fincher starting where like, he takes five years between Panic Room and Zodiac, and he he almost he gets like even more obsessively controlling with the with the mm-hmm. framing and with the cuts and with everything, and it it just feels like he starts kind of a new path in his career. I think up to that point, I think he, Zodiac is such a patient, mature. Uh, kind of, it looks at the big picture. It doesn't it doesn't. Um, it, it just feels like a, a kind of a different filmmaker than, than I think we had seen before. And I think a lot of people were pretty surprised by that. 2007 was a great, I mean, speaking of the Oscars, 2007 was a great movie year, but this movie got no zero Oscar nominations, um, which is kind of insane considering yeah. the craft and the top notch, top notch cast. Um, I like a lot of the, I mean, the three leads, Mark Ruffalo, mm-hmm. uh, Johnny Jr. And, and Jake Gyllenhaal, of course, but the the guy the guys on the per- peripheral too Anthony Edwards Chloe Sevigny John Carroll Lynch uh, as as the famous infamous Arthur Lee Allen they everyone's just so Baker game Hall there so as well Philip Baker as, Hall I love as the Baker. handwriting analyst yeah mm-hmm. yeah Billy uh, I know you love Zodiac as well so you said it's number two for you I think it's number I think it's actually number four for me just because I love the mm. top three so much but mm-hmm. so I think it it probably has to go here at number two Billy right. uh, what do you think? Yeah, this is, uh, I think when I realized I love Fincher, because um, I, I definitely seen Fight Club as a younger person, but I think I missed Zodiac when it came out. Um, got into, um, I'm trying to think of the order I saw these movies. So Fight Club 7 was hugely part of it, but I saw Social Network. I'm like, oh, wait, what was that? And then I revisited a, a lot of Fincher's other movies in Zodiac when I saw it. I'm like, oh, I understand him as a filmmaker a lot more. Uh, I think uh, uh, as we called Gone Girl, like just trashy, this is anything but trashy for Fincher. Um, he, he he delves in and out of the trashy kind of uh, B movie genre really well. And this is uh, just a, a pure procedural and uh, subverts uh, what you maybe, maybe think he's going to do with the murders. Um, it's not quite everything uh, after the murder happens, like in seven, but you, you only get glimpses and then, I think top 10 scene of the, uh, of the 21st century so far is the uh, murder in uh, broad daylight in the park. Oh my um, gosh. That Chilly. scene yeah. is so horrifying and didn't know that you could put something that horrifying in the daylight. Um, and just so effective and just completely trans transfix transfix me, um, for, for eternity. I, I love this movie so much. I, th- I think there's another element to it too that feels very, that fe- feels of a piece with Fincher's like whole like body of work, mm-hmm. which is the idea of sort of this like obsession that all of these characters sort of have mm-hmm. around trying to solve this, solve the Zodiac murders, trying to like figure out who the Zodiac killer is. And like that, that is something that just permeates that whole movie where you like 
watch it kind of transfer from each of the characters as like, you know, we get a different act of the movie and see the way that it has like curdled and essentially turned Robert Downey Jr. into a ghost by the end of that movie, living on that houseboat, just like drinking grain alcohol and playing Pong, like watching it drive these characters to madness and driving nice characters, these people, these real people driving them to madness, trying to solve this. And it's, you know, unanswerable questions. And that, that to me feels like such like, the core of what makes like a David Fincher noir film work. Mm-hmm. It's part of like that, that sort of like trying to understand the naughty core at the, at the center of uh, the relationship in gone girl. What makes John Doe tick in seven? Wh- why, why is, uh why are these people breaking into a house in panic room? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what is it that drives them? And, you know, Jodie Foster has nothing to do with what they're looking for out of all of this. And, mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's it's that it's that core that kind of piece that sort of uh, runs throughout all of Fincher's movies, and I think is is best displayed in Zodiac, or one of the best ways it's displayed is in Zodiac. That's really well put. Yeah, I, I like that as kind of a you know, it's kind of in the middle of his career, and it, it's kind of uh, almost like a lot of the themes and and storylines are kind of orbiting around uh, around Zodiac. Um, but it's not number one. Um, we uh, this sounds like it's going to be pretty easy. Um, Billy, what's what's our number one David Fincher movie? Yeah, if I did uh, your list wrong, it's uh, for <laughs> all of us. It's The Social Network, and yes, um, yeah, perfect movie? Question mark. Um, I just there's not many more movies perfect that movie. I love than than this movie, and how it uh, ages so well in very horrific ways, and. Uh, uh, obviously ways that are constantly changing. But when you look back on this movie, it's uh, one of the only examples that I can think of of like, oh, at the time we were being like, oh, is, is Fincher being a little bit too hard on Mark? And then now it's like, uh, could you in, uh, up the hatred yeah. for these this type of character? Um, but I'm just so impressed by the uh, collaboration with him and Sorkin. Um, two people, almost as they get further into each of their respective careers, Amazed that it was such a perfect match. Yeah. Um, I, Sorkin is uh, not like completely nosedived on me, but just I think of him so differently now than I did back in, uh, back to this time. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's I'm amazed that it works this well at that point. Well, and it, it's such it's such a blueprint for the way that we think about like sort of these like biopics about well-known companies and well-known figures and like things that we accept as like everyday, you know, services or platforms that we use, like the way that we understand who these like CEOs and billionaires are who kind of make the rest of our world work and try to like understand who they are. It like, it's, it's very funny because to, to my list, I thought there was something funny about the synergy of, the movie about the making of Citizen Kane as number 11 for me <laughs> and uh, arguably the movie that is like the first half of a modern day Citizen Kane uh, up at number right. one. Yeah. Because there, there is no one who is more ubiquitous in like the world outside of, I guess, Elon Musk at this point, who kind of embodies that sort of CEO supervillain type person. And it's interesting to see that Jesse Eisenberg went on to play someone like Lex Luthor, not terribly right. long after he makes the social network. Yeah. Right. But it is, it is, it, it, it crystallizes this very specific period of like this, of, of like wild West internet. And like 
when it, when that movie came out, like I reviewed the movie for my local paper as in like the teens section at the time, because mm-hmm. uh, I was like a junior in high school, I think, when it came out, and I was like, oh, you know what? Nah, like I I can't see this like having longevity. Like I'd already seen social media sites, your friendsters, your MySpace, your Zingas. They'd all kind <laughs> of come and gone. I'm like, I can't see this being. You know, it's not going to have staying power. It's not like. I, I I just don't know about it. I don't know. Like it's, is this going to matter in 10 years? And, uh, yes. sure. Hate to be wrong about that one, but, <laughs> right. uh, yeah, I, there, there, there's, there's so much to that movie. It's such a rich text. Like it, it, it feels, it feels like such a, I'm, I'm losing words at this point, but mm-hmm. it, it's incredible. Incredible performances abound. Everything about it. I love. One one of the great movies of this century. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. the best movie of the century. Um, I or at least yeah. the last decade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree with uh, with kind of the push and pull of, of Fincher and Sorkin. I, I just I love that that combo. I, I kind of wish they would link up again. And, and mm-hmm. it sounds like I just read a Fincher interview where he's uh, was saying there's been discussions about uh, a follow up to Social Network. Uh, how do you guys feel about that? Would, would you guys want that? Uh, no, but it's, it's also like, it, it's, there's no way it could just be like a direct sequel. You know, I, I, I doubt it'd be yeah. just about Mark again, but I don't know there's obviously yeah. plenty of new text that you could go with the same characters. So, um, I don't know. It just, if he's going to go back to the well on anything, make it a manhunter, please. But, uh, I think, uh, that would be weird to have social network. Um, well, not I mean, the, the- yeah. I, there's there's oh yeah mine oh, mine hunter, yeah, mine sure hunter, yeah. yeah sorry I, my brain was having a hard time yeah you know I, going with that one. I'm like, that's mine hunter that's what i was on here talking about last time so. yeah no, no, no. <laughs> mine hunter is what i meant to say damn it no i mean as as like as sequels go i don't know if like i think i think in the abstract a sequel sounds fascinating like especially mm-hmm. if it were like framed around Mark Zuckerberg having to testify in front of Congress, right. another kind of deposition uh, mm-hmm. where a number of things were brought to light. Uh, but it doesn't have that sort of core where like so much of this movie is kind of like trying to understand who the human is behind the the social behind making the social network mm-hmm. and what sort of what 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 forces sort of brought him to this point and, you know, became challenges to him building it into what it currently is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, trying trying to frame that friendship between him and Eduardo Saverin kind of disintegrating. Uh, the way that you know Erica Albright, who's I don't believe a real person, uh, but using her as sort of this dramatic conceit in the film to kind of show that he is a human person and not just like a robot man who you know doesn't understand how to talk to people and how to you know create these sorts of relationships. Like trying to like tr- tr- trying to give like him this sense of hope that like you know. You can have a million friends, but like if if you're not, you know, it's it's not it's not a good metaphor. But I think I think it lacks that sort of human core to it all. And mm. I I don't think unless unless there's like a definitive ending that we have to Facebook, like the day it finally collapses or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't I don't think uh, I don't think a sequel is honestly that necessary. Yeah, there there would be a lot of ground to cover, but yeah, it, it isn't necessary. I think is is the big the big question they would have to get the story right. They'd have to get the, the angle and the perspective, right. But yeah, I, I agree, Max. I think, you know, Facebook and social media was in such a different place in 2010 than it is in 2023. I, I don't know how they had the, 
the prescience and the and the foresight to to make this movie in the way they did and to mm-hmm. make such a big statement but then but then this movie which is about building a, a social building a website is so propulsive and you it just moves so well and the mm-hmm. score obviously has been used in a hundred different places um, <laughs> uh, because it's so good um, but yeah the between the craft and the performances and the pacing even if it wasn't so pressing about you know kind of Facebook's future and, and our social media's future and its effect on society I think uh, it would still be such a watchable movie and, and, and one of his best absolutely yeah like I don't know. I, I have I have no more real notes on it aside from the fact that like it is it is such a it, it's such a time capsule for the early two thousands, and it's it's wild to think that like probably one of the best movies of the twenty tens came out in twenty eleven, and continues to be maybe one of the best movies of that whole like like at least in terms of like blockbuster American films. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think there's a lot that really touches it yeah. in terms of like cultural impact and like that that even that first trailer is iconic oh yeah like the set set to the choral version of radiohead's creep yeah and like you see people on tiktok imitating that or just doing the full-on like the uh the 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 eduardo saverin at the at the hundred or the million users party Mm -hmm. like that whole sequence where he realizes he's been written out of yeah Yeah, that one like (laughs) those are those themselves are iconic on their own yeah divorced from an even better like whole it's 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 just a good movie i'm i'm gonna continue to stammer about this one but i, I love it dearly it's such a good movie i'm we, gonna watch it after we're done we recording could, i i, I yeah. want to i want to put it on right now uh we could have a megapod about the social network for sure um okay so that's our list i'll, I'll go ahead and, and read them down here for everybody um number 11 we had alien 3 fincher's first movie Number 10, we had Mank, Fincher's most recent movie. Uh, number nine, we had The Game. Number eight, we had Panic Room. Number seven, we had The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Number six, we had The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Number five, we had Fight Club. Number four, we had Seven. Number three, we had Gone Girl. Number two, Zodiac. And number one, The Social Network. How do you guys feel about this list? Is this? Uh, do you feel like we we came to a decent consensus here? I think so. It uh, it, it pains me to see Zodiac at two. It's it it, it feels uh, wrong having to rank that one because um, I love it so much. But Social Network is just yeah, like we all said, the maybe the best movie of the twenty first century. So um, yeah, the top the top four specifically are all masterpieces in my mind. Yeah, it's hard yeah, to quibble I'm all about it once you get to like his top, you know six seven i mean th- these are all just so well made so so such incredible filmmaking so let's go ahead and wrap it up there um let's go ahead and uh we're, we're gonna say thank you to max uh max Havy for for being our guest today uh, we appreciate it um max anything to plug anything uh going on right now that you uh want to let us know about yeah no thank you guys again for having me on here um I just had a piece that's in the uh, latest November issue of St. Louis Magazine. I helped contribute to a piece uh, about the St. Louis comedy scene, talking about mm-hmm. faces to know uh, within the scene. Definitely check that out. It's in print and online. It's great. If you want to keep up with me, I'm at Max Havy on Twitter or X or whatever you call it now. 
Same with Letterboxd. I'm also on Blue Sky. Trying that out if you're over at Blue Sky. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I'm basically at Max Havy wherever uh, wherever I can be found. And yeah, it's just, it's just a delight talking this through with you guys. I uh, I could talk about David Fincher for hours. And I could probably come up with some more coherent thoughts about social networking <laughs> if you give me another hour. Well, it, it was a blast. We we love having you on. This was this was a fun a fun one. And uh, thanks thanks for joining. Um, please subscribe to, to uh, the Do You Like Apples newsletter, doyoulikeapples.substack.com. We uh, have uh, rec- movie recommendations every Friday going out. Um, please uh, like, rate, and review. Subscribe on your podcast platform to the Do You Like Apples podcast. Um, thanks to Ryan Jenkins for the theme music, as always. And stay tuned for more uh, from DYLA. We got uh, kind of this this three-week stretch here is a David Fincher, Sofia Coppola extravaganza. So next week, we're doing our Sofia Coppola episode with, the, with another guest. Um, and then the following week, you're going to hear uh, our, our discussions of, of David Fincher's The Killer and Sofia Coppola's Priscilla, uh, their, their new new releases. So uh, make sure you're subscribed. And uh, Billy, Max, thanks so much for the conversation. It, it was it was a good time. Yeah, peace out, fellas. Cheers. Thanks, y'all. Do you like apples? Do you like apples?